Hey, good evening, I'm sorry, a little late, better late than ever. We have to learn something for Rosh Hashanah, I was a little uh, overwhelmed this week with a big project. Everybody should join Sunday with this big, big global prayer that we're going to do for Mashiach. One o'clock Eastern time, uh, 10 o'clock um, Pacific time, and eight o'clock in Israel. Um, it'll be an amazing program. So you can look at it in the major, uh, go to unitedforgeula.com. Geula spelled with an H. You can participate in the global prayer um, and be really part of this. Um, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy which says that the Jewish people will ask Hashem for the, for the coming of Mashiach and the end of days. And here we're organizing something across all continents that we should do it right before Rosh Hashanah this special year so that we break through. So that has been occupying me and all, 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 all week and for longer. And I just, <laughs> uh, but I, so I missed the Monday class, even though we did give somewhat of a Monday class, but I didn't record it. Uh, but let's, let's learn today. It's a very beautiful mimer. I'm going to move a little fast because of the pressure of time, but it's a very, very beautiful, uplifting and special mimer. From, this is from the Rebbe, and it was said in, in um, 1954, so going into the year of 55. Going in, yeah. Um, anyways, it says in Shir Hashirim, in Song of Songs, Shlomo Melech says, you know, Shir Hashirim is a song of love between God and the Jewish people. And... Um, in the second part, of, in the second chapter of Shira Shirim, it says that God says to Israel, like the rose amongst the thorns. So is my beloved amongst the nations, amongst the, the daughters, which would mean the nations. So he's comparing the nations to the thorns, and God's people, the Jewish people, are compared to the rose. And just like the rose, although it is amongst the thorns, yet the rose is a beautiful rose, as we're going to learn soon. Not only that, the thorns themselves help develop the beauty of the rose through poking it, through challenging the rose. In the same way, as my God says, the Jew, uh, amongst the nations, we've experienced so much persecution and so much difficulty and challenge, and yet God says we're even more beautiful than we ever were. And we answer back to God, Israel answers back to God, like the fragrant apple tree, amongst the other barren trees, there's barren trees in the forest, and then there's a beautiful apple tree. So we say, so is my beloved amongst, amongst the sons, which in this case would mean amongst the other gods, who are not even gods, but like those who others worship, God, you're like the, they're all, barren trees, they don't produce anything, and you are like the, like the beautiful apple tree. So here is this, um, this, this specialty of, of Hashem praising Israel and Israel praising, praising God, praising Hashem. Then it continues, In a shade I delighted, and I sat, and the fruit was sweet, was sweet to my palate. Okay, we sit in Hashem's shade, the fruit, we sit in the, in the shade of the apple tree, and the fruit is so delicious. It says that God shelters Israel and nurtures us. 
The Rebbe in this discourse is going to explain how this verse is talking about the unique time of the year, which we eat apples and honey. Um, interesting. So here, God is compared to the apple tree. Uh, the reason we eat apples and honey is because Israel, the Jewish people, are also compared to apples. To dip the apple in the honey is to dip each and every one of us in the honey. We should have a sweet year. But over here, Hashem is the apple, and we're considered the rose. But yet, the Rebbe says that in these two psukim, it emphasizes something about the unique love that emanates and shines, particularly in this time of the year. Although it is a very intense time, Rosh Hashanah, when God judges the world, yet what it really leads to, the, the judgment is a judgment, but the whole purpose of it is to uncover a much stronger, deeper bond between God and Israel. And this is emphasized in this dialogue and this uh, back and forth of deep love between Hashem and the Jewish people. It's referring to this time, and he's going to explain it. Ketapuach like the tree amongst the forest trees. This is already the response. It started but like the rose amongst the thorns. But over here it says, that this is already the second verse, that we answer to Hashem like you are like the, the apple tree amongst the other trees of the forest. Cain doidi, so is my beloved, Benabanam amongst the sons. In his shade, I've desired. And I sit. And his, the fruits are sweet to my palate. This pasuk actually is a is 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 uh, bringing forth. It is expressing. Um, the love that God has to the Jewish people or the, or the state that Hashem is in our relationship with us during these four holidays. From now, from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shemini Yatzeres. And the idea of the, and what is the idea? How does that work? So says that the Rebbe is saying it, but this is really originates in the teachings of the Tzemach Tzedek. Who's, what's cool is that Tzemach Tzedek's birthday is going to be on Monday, Sunday night, Tzemach Tzedek's birthday. He's born at Erev Rosh Hashanah. That's the third Chabad Rebbe. So he gives this, this explanation, and the Rebbe over here, his great-grandson, elaborates on it. The idea is, the next it says in the Pasuk, it says it was, it was on the day. Which day is it referring to? And the sons, the Benea Elohim, Referring to angels, they're called bene. We'll see why they're called bene elokim. This yatsev, they come to to um, stand al havaya in front of God. This is this is a verse in Job in Eov, where it describes how it was a day of judgment, which all the commentaries say means Rosh Hashanah. But he hayom. Whenever it says hayom plain, it's Rosh Hashanah. Like we know, also this week's parsha atem nitzavim hayom. That in Rosh Hashanah we stand every year. It says it's referring to Rosh Hashanah. So it says, that day, which is the day that God judges the world, and all the angels come before God. God is judging the world. The angels, too, are the ones who are, are the advocates and the prosecutors, and they come before God. And, and they're bringing uh, all, all the deeds of man in front of Hashem, because Hashem is judging the, judging the world. So it's the day of great judgment. So we refer to the angels as B'nai Elohim. Now, B'nai means children. It's simply you say a person is a ben-chorin. A ben-chorin means a free human being. It doesn't mean he's a son of freedom. Or you say someone is a ben-Torah. It doesn't mean he's a son of Torah. He means he's someone who studies Torah. I mean, on a, on a simple level. A ben, ben bias. It's a family member. It doesn't mean necessarily a son of the house. 
It's a family member. Um, so ben means belonging to something. So b'neia aloikin doesn't necessarily mean children. It means divine beings, godly beings, which generally is referring to angels. They're, they're, they're celestial beings. But over here, he gives a, a, a stronger interpretation, associating the word b'nei with actually banim. They're the children of God. Now you would think that's phenomenal. They're children of God, angels. But generally we know that angels are not really children of God, that souls are children of God. Angels are creations. That's why when we say they are the b'nei Elohim, to, for the angels, it's actually not a compliment. It actually causes big problems because they're not meant to be children. But they do experience themselves in some way as children. And in that sense, in that, and in that, um, in that, uh, what do you call it, in, the, in that um, framework or in that context, they end up causing a lot of trouble. And we'll see, so what's the idea? The idea is that these are very holy angels. And because they're so holy, they're intolerant. That's the problem. These are the holy, judgmental angels who can't stand that there, are, that there, that there is fault in the world. And that's why they come and they prosecute. These are the prosecuting angels. But why are they prosecuting? What motivates them? What motivates them is because they want to stand up for God's honor. When they see things in the world that are not in, in, in uh, that are not respectful to Hashem, that are disrespectful to God, if there's a lack of observance or even, God forbid, a, a uh, violation of God's commandments, that ticks them off. The angels get personally offended. You know why? Because just like a child gets offended when someone speaks ill or disrespects their parent. So they feel like children. And because this, they get very, very personally offended and they get enraged. And therefore they come and they tattletale. And they bring all kinds of accusations because they say, take a look. Now, had they been souls, I guess they would be able to understand the deeper game over here, the deeper play, the deeper purpose of creation, which involves the struggle. And then they would be able to tolerate more the disobedience, because they would know that it too serves a purpose, and eventually the world will reach what its, what its ultimate goal is. But, it's, but I guess because they're not, it doesn't say all of this out, but this is the way I'm understanding it, I guess because they're not really, really privy to the inside, inside information. They, can't, they don't sense God's pleasure in the inside because they're not of God. They're creations. The, they, they are perfect creations. They are like the perfect ones. And in their perfection, they create... In their creation, they create a holy mess. A terrible mess. And they cause actually a great breakdown because their accusations sometimes work and cause Hashem to distance himself from the world, which as a result of God's distancing himself from the world, it actually makes the world even worse. So it's like a, 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 someone, a, someone gets involved in, a, in, a, in, in parenting and they try to help the parents discipline the kid, and they, actually, and they end up only creating a distance between the parents and the kid becomes even more problematic. So sometimes you say, keep out of it. 
So the, in this case, it would be better if these angels would keep out of it. But they don't, they come. So why are they coming? They're coming because they see themselves as banim, as children. But because they're children, they become, they, they, they lead to, to the, for God to get upset with the world. And therefore, to conduct themselves with the world in the manner of Elohim. Elohim is the name of harshness, judgment. So it's almost like two, 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 and B'nai Elohim, on the deeper, deeper inner meaning, according to this Hasidic interpretation, B'nai Elohim, refer, for in, in the context that it means over here, is really two ideas. One of them is referring to these angels themselves that are experiencing themselves as offended children, sticking up for their father. And what are they producing? They are producing God to be in Elohim mode. We know Rosh Hashanah, we don't want God to be in Elohim mode, even though he starts off in Elohim mode, very judging. We want him to sit up, as we say, from the throne of judgment and to sit down on the throne of compassion, of Rachamim, which is the name of Yudke Vavke, Tetragrammaton. Ola Elohim Bisrua, the powers of Elohim disappear through the blowing of the shofar, Havaya Bekol Shofar, and it's replaced with Yudke Vavke, with the, with the chesed, with the kindness, with the goodness, with the, with the, with the compassion. But the, these prosecuting angels, these banim, so-called banim, bring about God to get mad at the world. They cause Elohim. So now I'm going to right away go to the, to the verse so that we don't lose the context. So now we'll understand when it says in our pasuk, just like the apple tree amongst the other for uh, trees, barren trees of the forest, so is my beloved amongst the children. Which children are we talking about? Why are the angels over here that, that called? So it's not referring to foreign gods, it's referring to God amongst the angels. When? On Rosh Hashanah. And how do we refer to God? Doidi, the one who loves me. That means God doesn't buy into these angels. God, quite on the contrary, all their persecutions or prosecutions and all their accusations all backfires on them. And it, it causes, it challenges God's love to us and it uncovers even a deeper love. And God says, leave me alone, get out of here. <laughs> he chases them away. And he uncovers the deepest, innermost, um, um, unconditional love that he has for us. And that's why he's called Dodi. Dodi is the expression of my beloved, like Anila Dodi, Vidodi Li. God remains my beloved. Baina Banim amongst all these other frustrated so-called so-called children who are who are who are huffing and puffing about all the misdeeds that happened, and God is Kane Dodi. He overpowers them with his love. And again, the very challenge itself only forces Hashem to uncover his deepest essential love that he has for us on Rosh Hashanah. But why does God do that? What causes that to happen? What causes that to happen is the previous verse. What's the previous verse? God says, like the rose amongst the thorns, that's us, the Jewish soul. Amongst the thorns are all the darknesses and challenges that we have from our animalistic side, from all our environment of unholiness that tries just to seduce us and to bother us and to poke us like thorns poke. 
And yet, notwithstanding all the trials, tribulations, and all the difficulties, and all the hardships, and primarily all the spiritual challenges and temptations, which keep on, on, on harassing the soul, and trying to distract the soul, yet what does it lead to? The rose only becomes prettier and prettier, which means it ultimately brings out, yes, for time, there are moments that we fall, moments that we, that we, that we take a misstep, moments that we get filthy, moments that we get dirty. But ultimately, these very things lead us to a much deeper tshuva, to a much deeper repentance and a much deeper bonding with God. So just like our environment, just like us, God places us amongst these poking thorns, which they are equivalent to the angels up there who are poking God with their accusations. It's a similar, see, that's the parallel. God is being poked. His true desire to be a benevolent, kind, giving, forgiving, loving God, patient God, he's being challenged and being poked by what? By these, um, uh, you know, so-called uh, 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 zealot Zealot um, 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 angels, um, judgmental angels, you call them self-righteous angels. They, they're very good, these angels. They're very holy. Just they're too perfect. And that's why they're problematic. So these angels, they're poking God. And they're, as we're going to see soon, they're standing against God. They're standing against the name Yudke Vavke. So God's response is, oh, so, so God, and God dismisses them. He brings, that, that itself calls for doidi, a deeper love. Why? Because God says, when I look at you, and I see you also amongst those very thorns that poke you all along, that try to distance you from me. Stand? Just like we, put it this way, we have Yetzirah, God says, I also deal with Yetzirah. Me. Just like your Yetzirah tries to seduce you, to pull you away from me by all kinds of persuasions, I have also the ancestors of these pokers who are poking you down here. Their great-grandparents up there are those who pester me and want to separate me from you. And because I see that not only don't these descendants... Those who poke you don't can't can't destroy can't rip out your love to me and replace it with love for other things because even if you make mistakes and go there you ultimately turn back to me even with a greater intensity so too I will not allow these who try to distract my love from you and pull you away from Pull you away from, uh, pull, pull me away from you. I also won't allow that. So it's a little, literally a parallel. It's amazing how we think. If only we have Yitzhahara distraction. God deals with the same thing. And who are they? They're the holy angels. Why? Now what's the relationship? Now the interesting thing is those holy angels above, because they are trying to, they, they, because they're so perfect, they're perfectionists, and they're, and they're bringing all their, their accusations, what's the bottom result? Underlying result of that is that it causes God to be frustrated that, his, that what he wants in this world is not happening. It highlights our faults. 
which makes him less involved in the world, which makes, minimizes the godly flow. And when you have a minimization of the godly flow, then the world becomes less, becomes more distant from Hashem. And as the world down here becomes more, there will be obviously more rebellion and more disconnect. And that's actually the reason why we have in ourselves why the Yet Sahara becomes so robust. Why does our Yet Sahara, our animal soul, and our become such a distracting force? Because, because of those angels. Had they not, if Hashem would be more revealed and more evident in the world and more present in the world, then the Yet Sahara, then the evil inclination that's persuading us not to do, not to, 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 to not to fulfill our purpose would be, would, be, would be diminished. Because everything blocking God would be, all concealments would be diminished. So that's why he's making an interesting parallel. That the holy angels, judgmental angels above, they are actually the great-grandparents. They're the source for our distractions down here. Because they can only, they feed off, that's the thing. From their accusations and from their distancing of and, and minimizing and concealment of godliness in the world, that's what causes the klipa down here to thrive and become more intense. And that's the connection. You see, we are amongst the thorns. God says they're poking me as well up there. But you know what? I won't be impressed because you're not impressed. Not only won't I be impressed, but I'm actually going to thrive. Our love will thrive. We will come through this. And this happens every year before Rosh Hashanah. Hashem says, I know, I'm, I'm going to be challenged. It's going to be tough for me. And I know it's tough for you. But you know what? Our love is so intense. Whoever comes to Rosh Hashanah like this, we're always thinking like at a whole different level. Rosh Hashanah, and now, actually, during Rosh Hashanah with all the stuff going on and we're dealing with all of our stuff and we're trying to figure it all out. And we're trying to, to like, you know, I sin this, I can't, I have so much opposition. I need to submit myself to be a really good Jew and I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I know that probably, God, you're looking at me like such a loser over here. <laughs> and you see, and, that, and, and, and here's the thing, God is in that same battle. Because they are kind of barraging him nonstop and throwing things at him. And he's fighting it off. And in the midst of all of this, when it almost seems like, you know, we're going to get like, we're going to give in to the, to the animal soul. We're going to give in to the voice that's going to say, you're never going to be godly. You're never going to be that, that holy Jew you think. You're, that, as we are ready to give in, and it almost looks like that God is going to give in, we kind of catch each other's eyes. And he winks to us, and we wink to him, and it's all over. That's the mimer. Just suddenly the love is revealed and suddenly the klipa falls and all the accusing angels run for their life and all that there is, where do we end up? In the sukkah. That's what happens. We end up in the sukkah. We end up in Simchas Torah. We end up singing and dancing because ultimately all it does is to bring, for a, bring forth a much deeper union, a much deeper bond on levels way beyond. That's, that's the mimer. In short. Now let's read it inside. Like the Targum says in the Zoya. So in, in the Targum on this Pesach, it says that that's Rosh Hashanah. And then the, the children of Elohim. That are called the great Beisdin. Why are they called children? They're called Ben Elohim. Just like a son cherishes the father and is very, very um, cautious with his father's honor 
and he will get very, very upset if someone dishonors his father. And therefore, when someone doesn't honor the father, the son will, will accuse him. The son will bring forth accusations. So to the angels that are called children, they are super from. They're the super from. They are the biggest shushas you have in Shul. <laughs> Don't mess with them. These guys, they're like, Bruh! right? It's, by the way, this is so important because we're, you know, we're challenged all the time. We sometimes are in environments where we feel like, you know, we're better than the surrounding. And we get upset. We all go through this. We all go through a certain level. And we have this, we feel like kind of right and good when we can like get angry with at, at, at other people's behaviors. And then we kind of belong to that club, literally belong to that club. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be able to tolerate and, supposed to, and, and, and love, even though things are not that perfect. And because we're supposed to look deep inside and see the good intention and the goodwill. And only through that can we bring out the goodness in people, not by getting intolerant and, getting, um, and, and becoming judgmental. That's just the way it is. They are very medactic. They are very careful in the honor of Hashem. And what does this lead to? This just brings a bunch of horror. It evokes the attribute of judgment. And the accusation, on these that don't honor God. And that's why they're called B'nai Ha'elokim. What does that mean? bonim. Because they are children, that they are medactic, that they are so um, cautious in God's honor. This evokes, this brings upon harsh judgment on those that are not cautious with, in, in, in God's, in honoring Hashem. And that's why it says, on the Pasuk in, jo, in, in, in Eoiv, what does it say? It says that these people are coming, they're coming to stand al havaya. What does that mean? It should have said lisyatsev lifne Hashem. Lisyatsev al havaya really means they're coming to gang up on havaya. Were they ganging up against? Yes, because they're ganging up on God's inner will, His inner infinite mercy and love that He has, an infinite tolerance. They're coming to fight that, and that's the name Yudke Vavke. On a deeper level, He says, that's the whole. Pleasure, Yudke Vavke represents the unifications that happen as a result of all the good that the people that people do in this world. Whenever we do something good, we unify the Vav and the He. Whenever we do a positive commandment, we unify the Vav and the He of God's name. Whenever we refrain from doing something bad, we unify the Yud and the He. So there is so much acts of charity. There is so much goodness. There is so much kindness. There's so much Vavke unifications, there's so much Yudke unifications that are here that one can, one can notice in the world. Yes, we can look at the world and say everybody's corrupt and everybody is bad and everybody's in it for the money and everybody is in it for this. We can come up with all kinds, but we're missing, then we're missing. Again, there is problems, but stop seeing the problems. Look around, see how much, how wonderful. Take a look at even like the sages say, even, even a pomegranate, even the worst of Jews, he's, he's like a pomegranate. He's filled with mitzvahs. So, but when we're, 
when we are when we're when, when we're judgmental and when we're frustrated and when we're angry and we stand up with what is it called indignation? Is that the word? When we stand up and and then what we're really doing and like these angels, then we are dismissing all the good that is done. So we're dismissing yutke vavke, which is the 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 result, which is the pnimius, the innermost of God's relationship and pleasure that he gets out of creation and out of the Jewish people doing mitzvahs. And that's what happens in Rosh Hashanah. What's the main judgment of Rosh Hashanah? It's, it's how did we do on Torah and mitzvahs? Should God be satisfied with what happened last year or not? So when they bring a dissatisfaction, chas v'shalom, God forbid, they are coming, to stand al havaya. They're ganging up on Yud Kevavki. It's referring to on all the unifications that happen in Shem Avaya. Which comes about through our general service. The unification of when we serve God with fear and love. Two things. Fear and love also bring about the Yud and the He. Fear stimulates the Yud and the love stimulates the He, the upper He. Also through prohibitive commandments. The Yichud Vavke and the unification of the Vav and the He of God's name, the two latter letters, which are lower, through the positive commandments. The Kabbalah, so when we do them with acceptance of the yoke of heaven. In other words, the, the Yutke is more stimulated as a result of inner service, love and fear. And the, 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 the Vavke is primarily um, stimulated and activated and, unifi- and unified when we serve God with simple obedience. Even if we're not having an inner experience, more external, but that is very precious. And that causes these unifications. But when it's lacking, and obviously if you want to look with the left eye, you can always find lacking. So when there is some level of lacking in the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvahs, this causes the opposite. This causes yud k. When we're lacking in Torah and mitzvahs, it causes yud and k and vav k to be what? Disconnected. And that's what they are, they want to highlight the disconnect. So they're trying to like, it's not that they're, they, they, they don't, they're going against the unification of Yud Kei They're highlighting all the sins and all the, all the problems that we do, all the, because they're kind of so much, you know, fighting for God's honor. <laughs> so they're dismissing a lot of the good that we do. So what they're doing is they're undoing the Yud Kei In other words, when something appears to be a mitzvah and they're saying, eh, the guy was davening, but he wasn't really, he was really distracted. So, okay, so what are, you, so what are they undoing? They're undoing the, the, the achievements of the Yud Kei that we did. And it can be, God forbid, it can lead to a state where, where it can bring about to a state that your mother, which is the Shekhinah, gets completely banished, which means a complete separation. In other words, there is a, a, a when, when the Jewish people go to exile, the Shekhinah gets exiled. And there's a complete disharmony and shalom bias. There's a total breakdown. God banishes his wife from the house. And this is all because, yeah, it's as a result of the sins, but because of those who highlight the sins and make a big deal about them. And then the malachim demand the honor of Yud They're standing up for Havaya. But it's again really against Havaya in that sense. This it says, 
Or we can say, not exactly, it seems a little bit, not that they're ganging up to stop the Havaya. No, they, they're standing up for the honor of Havaya. But what they're doing is they're highlighting the blemishes that there are in Havaya. In, in Yud Kevavke. But what does that cause? That causes Hashem to withdraw even more. This it says, but God, but it says, and this is the meaning that Hashem is doidi He's amongst of these, these sons, these accusing angels, who are so um, um, adamant about God's honor because they feel themselves like children. But yet, doidi, God's love remains to us, my beloved. Even in Rosh Hashanah, that the Malachim are making trouble, the accusation of the angels. They're called children. Yet God doesn't, is not impressed with that because there is the great love of Hashem, the Knesset Yisrael, to the Jewish people. This is the meaning of my beloved. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. This is the deep, unbreakable love. God that God has to Knesset Yisrael to the Jewish people that can never be broken. To understand this idea. Before this it says, Now he's going to connect it to what it says earlier, as we said earlier. What makes God be stubborn in his love? Our stubbornness. And what's our stubbornness? Despite the fact that we deal with all kinds of negative forces and distractions and sometimes falls and, 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 and all, the, all, the, all the hardships we go through by being a physical human being in this world, a soul incarnated in a body, and with all Yitzhahara, evil inclination. And we also have all kinds of things that are working on persuading us and distracting us and trying to disconnect our hearts from God and we don't listen to it. And we become even stronger in our love. That brings about Hashem's deeper love that He too doesn't listen, so to speak, to His Yitzhahara, which would mean these, these, these holy angels who are separating it from us. Now, I want to say that the Mimer doesn't, God forbid, refer to them as Yitzhahara of Hashem. That's my drama a little bit, but that's kind of the idea. But he does say that they are the source of these distractions down here, that he does say. Like the thorn amongst the rose, so is my beloved amongst the daughters. It's through this that my beloved is amongst the daughters. That we are like the Shoshana, like the rose amongst the thorns. This is what causes my beloved amongst the sons. Like the apple amongst the trees of the forest. My beloved is referring to Knesset Yisrael. Who is who is Rayasi? It says. Kain Rayasi, my beloved. God refers to my now Rayasi, however, the sages say means my beloved. But Rayasi also means like my bride, but it also means the one who nurtures me, the one who supports me. God basically refers to the Israel like the ones who, who feed him. Wow, that's a big thing. We're the ones who shepherd him, we are the ones who feed him, yeah. Because in order for a person to live, what's, what do you need food? Food you eat in order to live. 
What happens when you don't eat? It causes the body and the soul to become distant from each other. It brings a separation between body and soul. So too, there is a cosmic body, a cosmic, a cosmic body. Those are the divine attributes, which are the, 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 the backbone of all of existence. This is the underlying um, channels through which God's influence and energy flow, the infinite light flows to the world. But it's only a body, it's only a recipient. All these attributes. And then there is the soul of it. What's the nisham? That's Hashem's the flow of divinity, God's, God's energy as he flows into it. Naturally, the two would separate. And you have to continuously bring it together. And he's going to explain that our Torah and our mitzvot that we do, this Torah study that we do and the mitzvot that we do, keep this cosmic body and soul together so that's the reason why we are called those who feed God. We, we, we actually, through our midst, we feed Him. He calls us, you support me. You're the ones who give me my food. So it's not just we're His bride. We cook for Him. We, we, we keep Him alive. What do we mean alive, God? Yeah, yeah. A life in this world. Torah and mitzvah is what brings Hashem into this world. Not only that, He's going to explain, we support Him in two ways. We give Him clothing, and, I'm sorry, we give Him food and we give Him clothing. Two things we give Him. Through Torah, we give him food. When we study Torah, we give him food. And through mitzvahs, we give him garments. What does that mean, we give him garments? There are two types of influences. In divine energy that flows to the world, there's two types of influences. One of them goes into the, into the attributes, into the body, and sustains it from the inside. The attributes. Let's, let's go back to a human body. A human being needs, needs food and needs clothing. Both of them keep us safe. Both of them keep us healthy. We don't have any clothing, especially if you're in harsh elements. God forbid. Right? You can freeze to death, God forbid. Or right? a person needs clothing to function. But there's a difference. Clothing impacts us from the outside. Food is internalized. Now it looks to most of us that what? That food we need more than clothing. Clothing is nice, but we need, it's not really true. Because you see food, as he's going to explain in the Mimer, we can get away with hours and hours of not eating. But most of the time we wear clothing. Clothing is essential. I mean, technically you can take a shower, you're not wearing clothing, but generally most of the time a person is clothed. Clothing is, and the reason is, because on a spiritual level, clothing provide an energy that is more essential even than food. And the same is also in the spiritual cosmos. Torah has a certain influence in unifying the divine energy with, with the spherot, with the attributes, keeping body and soul together. Mitzvahs are even more essential. Mitzvahs has to be constantly because mitzvahs keep God's clothing, which means an or makif, an encompassing light on the body. The reason why clothing has such influence, it's not just shelter you. Clothing is related to a more encompassing energy that resides on your clothing. It's related to a person's clothing. For instance, the idea that it's so important, according to Kabbalah, according to Jewish mysticism, that your Shabbos clothing should not be weekday clothing. According to Kabbalah, it's terrible. If you put on a shirt you're wearing the weekdays, you're wearing a Shabbos. It's supposed to be a Shabbos shirt and a Shabbos. People are not so careful. You know, you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. grab that pair of pants, put it on. 
Now, in general, you wear a kapata, you wear something, but like the little details. According to Mr. Sin, you should have everything there, a different gartel, a different hat, a different, everything should be different. The reason is because clothing, on the clothing dwell the ormakif, the encompassing lights. And the encompassing lights are far more powerful than the internal light. Internal is only a little bit energy can go in the inside. The bulk of the energy is on the outside and it rests on the clothing. That's the reason why you're not supposed to take off two garments at the same time. And there's different things that emphasize um, or dress two garments because there's two levels of makif and it's very, very powerful clothing. And, um, and you see also when you, we spent, we, clo clothing costs more than food because they really have of a greater value than the food that we eat. But as it is in the micro, it's also in the macro. As a result of mitzvahs that we do, we draw down this infinite encompassing light upon, upon the cosmic body. And that's why God says, you support me. You give me my clothing. Now we learned in Rambam the other day that there's two things a woman is supposed to do for her husband. She should cook, she should, and she should also, it doesn't say that she has to provide him with clothing, but it does say a woman should be, in those days especially, women would, would knit and do a lot of knitting and a lot of production of clothing. So she can make him things, she can make him a sweater, yeah. It's not an obligation for a woman to provide, actually it's an obligation for a man to, to provide clothing for a wife. It's not an obligation for a wife to provide clothing to a husband, but it does say in Rambam that a husband could expect his wife to do certain, you know, to do certain work, which, which primarily is the work of spinning and that kind of thing. So I guess it reflects the spiritual that we provide God with his clothing. And that's why we're called Reyasi, as he's gonna explain over here. But in the process of doing that, of being Reyasi, where do we have to do it? We have to do it not in some utopian, you know, place where no one will distract us. We have to provide him with the food and the clothing when we have a bunch of mosquitoes biting us every minute. When we have all kinds of harsh ins, that dogs barking and this pulling us and that, everything is coming our way. In the midst of all that, that we have to have dinner ready. In the midst of all of that, we have to have our heart and soul, you know, turn towards Hashem when we have a million other things that are barraging and, and, and making us crazy and even trying to seduce us elsewhere. But yet, we manage to be a good wife. So that's what God says. You manage, I manage too. To find my love and to over, overlook all these distracting um, um, whatever. Accusers. Now let's read inside. Um, yeah. The Inyabas had the ideas like this. It's referring to the Jewish people. We are called God's provider. We provide for him. It's a Midrash. The Midrash says that Jews provide for their father in heaven. So what is Parnassah? The Parnassah includes both food and clothing. The idea of, of, of food is to connect body and soul. Since the soul is spiritual, but completely spiritual, and the body is very physical, there has to be an, a mediator that unifies them. Who are and that is the food. The food, how does the food provide? 
the food gets converted and becomes blood and flesh, like the person. You eat the food, the food gets digested, and it gets absorbed in the body. And through it becoming absorbed in the body, it connects the soul to the body because it strengthens and increases the blood, and the increasement of the blood has the magnetic pull to be able to pull the soul down. And just like it unifies soul and body, it even food is actually affects a certain tightness, a certain unification in the soul itself. Which means in the spiritual dynamics of the human being itself, there is an imp- not just between the spirit and the physical, but even in spirit in the spiritual element of the soul itself, there is a certain intensive intensified connection that happens as a result of eating, and that is that the person's intellect connects to the to the rest of the soul. See, the intelligence of the soul is more lofty. And it's very easily to withdraw from the lower part of the soul. The fact that when we eat, what happens after we eat? We feel our brain is more with us. So it's not just a physical thing he's explaining. Even if you would have a soul, just a pure soul, there has it's possible for there to be some kind of a disconnect between the intelligence of the soul, which is more, more withdrawn to the more you know, immediate element of, of the soul. And food causes that connection. The gamba nefesh kufa in the soul itself. To connect the soul with the moch and with the mind. And the same is also with the garment. A garment also impacts and keeps the soul and body together. Through this that it's protecting and shielding the person from cold, extreme cold, and heat. You wear something of clothing to protect you from the sun. What's the difference between food and clothing? The food is internalized. It becomes flesh like blood and flesh like the person. It enters into the innermost of the body. And that's why, just like food goes inside the body to feed it, actually it permeates the cells of the body, the same to its impact, spiritual impact, is drawing the soul down. It draws down from the soul an energy of soul that is also internalized. For example, it 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 um, it makes us have, as we spoke earlier, it intensifies our our clarity of our mind, our power of intellect. It 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 energizes all the particular aspects of our functionality. The energy you need to lift something up, if you if you're if you're if you're starving and you're weak, you can't you can't your, your inner talents are not working well, are kind of sluggish. And, and lethargic if there's no food. So there is a, 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 an indwelling, particularized energy that enters into all aspects of the person's detailed self as a result of the food that we... That's called internalized. But the garment, is from the outside. All it is is encompassing. But what's the real reason? We would think that means it's less important. It's only on the outside. But the real reason why it's on the outside is not because it's less important. It's because it's of greater significance, it's of a, a more uh, powerful energy which can't fit into the narrowness. We can't internalize because it's too much. And the inner reason why the garment is a makif, because the lavush is really higher. It's not possible for it to be internalized in the vessels inward. It remains encompassing. And that's why we see food you don't have to have all the time. 
All this we spoke earlier. There's times that you eat v'shoyse and you drink There's times that at times you don't eat. I eat all the time, but really you're not supposed to eat all the time. Garment is all the time. You can't be without garments. And the reason is because garments are so high. That's why it's encompassing. And the same is also in the soul. There's two levels of soul. One is internalized, the limit of the soul, and one is encompassing. It's like we know the Neshama has five names. Neshama has five names, Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chai, Yechida. And we know the lower, the first three names of the soul represent the, the internal element of the soul. The soul as it interacts with the body in an internalized way. And the Chai, Yechida represent the more loftier elements of the soul that are higher than our comprehension, understanding, and internalization. Nefesh, Ruch, Neshama, Chai, Yechida, Neran, and Pnimiyim, the Neran is inward. The Chai, Yechida, Hem, Akifim, and Chai, Yechida are encompassing elements. So that's considered related to our garment. And with this, we'll also understand the union of Parnasa. Which we say that we are giving God Parnasa. Until now, we spoke about down here by the human. This all applies to the macro, to the greater picture. And that's where Hashem says, You are my provider. You're my sustainer and my provider. What is it possible to say by God that we are providing for him? That also above, there's also an element of a body. Not a physical body, but an element that is really similar to the idea of a body. In the Esosphere, this is the concept of ten attributes. Or as it says, because God is infinitely above all attributes. That's considered like a body. Or as it says, line. That bodies you have, you have designed for them. The imayoy some spheroids, even though they're very lofty attributes, yet they're considered bodies in comparison to the pure energy. And they are literally incomparable to the simplicity of the orin seif, to the infinity of it. And therefore, in order for the orin seif, to be drawn down to the ten sphiroi, so why they are mozoin dafka, is dafka through food. The mozoin in yinatoida. Mozoin is the idea of toida. Shal yodoinim shechmo oirin soif la eses virus. Through toida, it's drawn from the oirin soif to the eses virus. Oh, so now he's going to explain above what is the food. The food above is Torah. When we learn Torah, we cause the same effect of food. Like Torah is called fruit, Torah is called bread, sometimes Torah is called wine. We compare it to all kinds of, of edible things, food items. Torah is called water. Why? Because through Torah, what does food do? It connects soul and body. It draws the transcendental soul into the body. Same over here. Through Torah... We bring infinite light into the spherot, especially into the God's brain, into the Chachma bin Adas. We draw from the Oren Sof to the ten spheres, but now he's going to challenge that. Isn't Torah coming from Chachma? Chachma, it's, Torah is, is Hashem's wisdom, so it's coming from Chachma. Chachma, we're saying before, is part of the ten spheres, so it's part of the body. In order to draw down from the Oren Sof, it has to be connected to, inf, to, to the Oren Sof as it is higher than Chachma. But Torah... Is Chachma? So he explains no. Only the 
The Torah, as it, as it manifests and it emerges down here, it's God's wisdom. In essence, Torah is infinitely higher than His wisdom. Because Torah, in its essence, is above the Ten Commandments. I'm sorry, it's above the Ten Attributes. Even is higher, even beyond the attribute of Chachma, of wisdom. Which is the first of all the Tzviras. Because even though Torah emanates from wisdom, it emerges from Chachma, as it says in Zohar. Nafkis means it, it exits, it emerges. It, it, it issues forth from Chachma. But that's not really its real origins. But in its essence, it's rooted above Chachma. And therefore, because Torah is rooted above Chachma, it is within the capabilities of the Torah to draw from the transcendental from the infinite one to the ten spheres. But, but, but we need someone to learn Torah. Who learns Torah? When we learn Torah, we cause that connection above. However, notwithstanding the loftiness of this, yet it is a certain limited. Why is it limited? Because it's called food. And as we spoke food earlier, that food only has a limited effect on the body and soul. Because it can, it, it, it's a very important one. It internalizes things. But the very fact that it's internalizing in a limited, finite body means it's already reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced very much so that it can, the body can handle it. The same is also above in the, in, the great infinite, in the great cosmos that over here as well, whatever the cosmos can internalize inward is considered only a tiny little inf <laughs> infinitesimal drop compared to the bulk of it that remains above it. So Torah is very important, but mitzvahs are bringing down the something that is even infinitely beyond Torah. Therefore, above that, we also have to provide and draw down the encompassing lights to the body, which is the world, but it's going to go around it. And this hamshacha, this flow, happens through mitzvahs. Which they are a garment. Like it says, his garment is tzedakah. So you see tzedakah, which is a mitzvah. Not only is it a mitzvah, it's the mitzvah of all mitzvahs. Charity, tzedakah. And we say it's considered God's, it's, and it's not just a garment, it says levushai tzedakah. We're going to say it Rosh Hashanah many times in the songs that we're going to sing on Rosh Hashanah. We say levushai tzedakah. His garment is tzedakah. So we should remember when we sing it that his garment is our tzedakah. When we do tzedakah, we give him a garment. So we should remember that. Hey, what are you wearing, God? For your inauguration, who do you think gave you that? Cool, new thought, new thought. I'm not gonna this this Rosh Hashanah. We're gonna we're gonna have different perushim over here. Levushay tzedakah, your garment tzedakah that we didn't did down here. Everybody, if I only say it, it might be chutzpahdik. Everybody who's listening to the shir should say levushay tzedakah. Have in mind this. I think if we all do it together, we'll get away with it. Not only we'll get away with it, we'll actually. Change everything around. Hey, here we go. Levushay tzedakah. Behind the fisha mitzvahs, because the mitzvahs mamshichem es hamakif. We're the ones who draw down the makif. The time adaver, and the reason of the matter is the fisha mitzvahs and rots and elyon, because the mitzvahs are the supernal will. The avshen is barlel, and even though we said earlier shegam atayru lemaila machachma, and even though we said before that Torah is also high, as we say mitzvahs are Hashem's will, and will is infinite. 
But hold it. We said before that Torah, which only brings in the finite light, which only brings in a reduced light, is also beyond Chachma. So it's also, what's beyond Chachma? Keter, Keser. Keser is infinite. So Torah is also rooted in Keser. So now, but now we're saying mitzvahs is what's drawing down the infinite. And the answer is, in, in above Chachma there is levels. So Torah is in a lower level and mitzvahs in a higher level. And the way he says it is the idea that there is, even in the infinite there's still the idea of ten sefirot. Even in Keter, Keser, which is Ein Sof, even there it's hard to understand what this means. There is, there is ten sefirot, which are divided into two categories, the seven lower and the three higher. The three higher is always way vast, greater than the seven lower. The seven lower, so Chachma is rooted in the seven lower, I'm sorry, Torah, even though it's rooted in Keser, it's in the seven lower of Keser. And, and Mitzvahs are rooted in the three higher of Keser. Which is interesting, because you would think the opposite. Torah, which is wisdom, would be connected to the three higher, which is Chabad, which is wisdom. And mitzvahs, which are more action, we would relate them more to the emotions. But yet, and it doesn't give an explanation here. How we can, what does that mean? And I didn't get a chance to, 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 to really research this too well, so I can't tell you right now the reason for that. That's why we can draw from the Oyrein Soif. Nevertheless, Torah, even when it is in the levels of Keser, it's in the lower level of Keser, in the seven lower of the level called Erech Anpin. Which has a relationship to Chachma. But Mitzvah and Begimel Rishayinus are in the first three of Arech. Arech is another word for Keser. And therefore, that's why mitzvahs are what draw down the real makif, the real encompassing light. Now, who is the one who does these mitzvahs? And who is the one who studies Torah and provides this? We. So we provided God with lunch, and we provide Him with His clothing. And because we are the ones who, the Jewish people are the ones who provide this, Shekashi Yisrael, Mekayim Torah and Mitzvahs. Jewish people fulfill Torah and Mitzvahs. All these Amshachas, all these things are drawn. That's why the Jewish people are called. My, my provider, God says. Now, on this Reyasi, on this beloved, on this provider beloved, God says, But yet, where are you? We find ourselves amongst the, amongst the daughters. Who are the daughters? Ah, oh, just like when God is finding himself amongst the sons, it means amongst the angels. We too find ourselves amongst the angels. But our angels are devil angels, not the same angels that are up there. Those are holy angels. They make problems, but they're holy angels. These angels that we have to deal with are, 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 are the angels that have already gone, gone, gone astray. And how do they end up in us? As Yetzirah, our animal soul and so on. And they make us crazy. And they poke us like the rose amongst the thorns. That's what he's going to explain over here in Sif Gimel. What is the idea of daughters? In his bar, we explained earlier when we spoke about B'nai Because there are angels that are called children, it can lead, God forbid, to a, something of an accusation. Because of this, which as we spoke earlier, causes a certain disconnect from Hashem from the world. And as a result of that, it can give energy to the, to the, to the, to the bad people. 
See, when God has withdrawn, energy flows to the bad side. Because from loftiness, the klipa can also take. Only when God is engaged, the energy flows in the right pipes, in the right channel. When God is a little withdrawn, now why is he withdrawn? If he's not excited about the project, he's withdrawn. And when he's withdrawn, it's still energy flowing from him, but the energy is, more, is less focused. And when it's less focused, it can be usurped, it can be grabbed, it can be taken advantage of by bad guys. So ultimately, it backfires what the angels try to do. When they come and they bring accusations, it causes the world to become more, more disconnected from Hashem because it strengthens the dark forces in the world, which in turn, it's a vicious cycle, which in turn, these people cause more sin. The more sin, the more... You know, this can cause... You know, it, it, these B'nai Elohim, <laughs> they're there for a reason, but I'm not a big fan of them. In any case, it's not, we don't want to start up with them now because you know you don't want them to focus on you on Rosh Hashanah. So okay, okay, no, that's what you guys, you guys, you know. But you know, Shabbatzad, Amalachim, Shalikram, B'Shem, Bonim, Eshelis, Mem, Inyan, Shal Kitrug. They can cause some kind of an accusation. Imashum the Eshelis, Yenikul Chitzonim, and this can lead to the Chitzonim getting more energy. And when the Chitzonim cause get more energy, then all the all the forces of darkness become become more more empowered. And it trickles down that our Yetzirah also gets more chutzpah, gets more energy. The gam yanikol and Bahamas, it also draws energy to the animal soul. That it should have all kinds of cravings to the distractions of life, to the physical pleasures of life. The gam and not only that it wants that it should have a desire and a passion for material things, but even to corporal things, which means even to things that you don't need of your physical life. Just things that are pure chazarai, meaning that they're totally unnecessary. And yet, even that, you get, a person can get a strong impulse and a strong uh, uh, desire. Va'ah, then it can, and, and the animal soul can become so, so distant and so removed, but also so chutzpadek, so, um, so brazen, that it can lust not only for permissible things, it can start lusting things that are utterly forbidden. And then the, the animal soul in the person is called the daughter. Why is it called the daughter then? But remember earlier we explained why the angels are called sons? And, the, and remember we were learning that the sun element is not a compliment. Because they're sons, which is a compliment, that they're, they feel like children of God, and therefore they're sticking up for God's honor, but, it's, but, it's, but that element of their being so fanatic about God's honor leads to problems. The same is also the fact that when it comes to our distracting forces, which is, which is uh, our animal soul, is called daughter, and the daughter is not a compliment. Why? Over here, daughter means a recipient. That's not a bad thing. The fact that a person becomes so needy and needs the fulfillment of all, all pleasures of life instead of having an inner strength and an inner confidence. The fact that, you're, that, that in order to give you a sense of being alive, you need a potato chip or else you feel like, you know, you, need a, you, need, you must have it or else you're, you know, that's showing on a very poor state. If you're strong, if you're fighting, if you have a purpose and a powerful mission to your existence, you're not so needy. You're needing for godliness, but you don't need these other things to give you a, a you know, a sense of, of being alive. So that, so 
that's that's why it's called bonus. Uh, uh, the, the daughter over here represents the idea that we're we're so we're such a recipient. We 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 don't have any any presence without without everything supporting and everything uh, everything. Um, we need stuff to make us be, as opposed to being with an inner strength. Which is, because once a person is so needy, so lusting, and so desiring, you become a complete recipient. Which recipient is good when it's, when it's towards God, but when it's to other things, it's... And that's what it says, my beloved, however, God says, despite the fact that you got all that stuff going on, but in there I see Reyasi is my bride, my provider. The Neshama then is called Banais. I'm sorry, the Neshama is called Reyasi, my provider, God's bride. And the other girls is referring to the where the Neshama hangs out, and that's in the body and the animal soul. Bahamas and the animal soul. This is a very great descent for the Nishama. But we know that why did God put our souls through such hardship? Because ultimately, these very challenging and these very, very, very battles, what do they do? They only strengthen the soul. And the descent is for the sake of an ascent. That's why it's compared to a rose amongst the thorns. Because the thorns, the, 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 the thorns, which these are the chochim, they're called chochim, these thistles, they, they poke and they, and they, and they um, perk or whatever, the, uh, the, the rose. And what happens? For whatever reason, beautiful roses always grow amongst the thorns. I guess it's necessary. Yeah, the Zohar says. The fragrance comes out from their being poked. Without their poking, they would be too selfish with their juices. They would keep it in and there would be no fragrance. It's these poking, that this and that, that releases, it causes the, the roses to release their fragrance and it's a... So a Jew has a much better fragrance as a result of all the mishigas that's happening in his, his or her life. Because tshuva leads us to release, release our real good fragrance. The same is also in the neshama. Through this, that the, anim, that the neshama gets enclosed in the animal soul. Then we have chochim. And he says an interesting thing. Chochim, which means the sheshana ben ha-chochim. Chochim is a thorn. But he says, Choych is gematria, 22. We know what's, what's significant about 22. 22 are the 22 letters of the alphabet. Now we know there are 22 holy letters, which are the letters of the Aleph Beis, which is the source of all the 22 holy letters in our life. But then there is the 22 unholy letters. That's the constant distractions that always come in forms of words. Either we're reading them, we're seeing them, especially today's days when we have these devices in which... We're constantly seeing things and words, and we're, everybody's trying to grab you with their words. So much words hitting us, so much bang, 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 bang. And that's all these, these poking thorns, all the stuff that are happening in our lives, coming from all the directions, from Instagram and from Facebook and from here and from there. It's constantly hitting us. 
But these are the 22 letters coming from the klipa. But instead of lamenting and saying, oh, how terrible that is, we say the opposite. Dafka through this struggle, this causes the neshama to go up higher. The neshama comes to this infinite love. A pure soul in heaven, loving God, it loves God on the surface. What do I mean on the surface? It's deep, but it's not, it's not the essence. Because it doesn't need to dig into the essence. No one is challenging it. But when we struggle, and we struggle, and we fall, and we get up again, and we fall again, and we can't stand it, and it reaches a point, it reaches such frustration, that frustration uncovers the beer bones of the soul. And over there, it's an, it's an essential love that's infinite. And that's called b'chol ma'otcha. Only when the neshama comes down in a body. Up there it can love God b'chol lavavcha, b'chol nafshecha, but not b'chol ma'odecha. B'chol ma'odecha, the infinite love, comes only through all the challenges and difficulties. Neshamas on their own souls, on their own, before they come down, are tzadikim. Meaning, nafshecha, it's, it's, to love God with all your soul, Nishamas in heaven can also do that. Even though the meaning of this is even if they take your soul, which implies what? A certain infinity, a devotion to God that's boundless, yet it's not with the same power like Bechomodech. It's still considered less than Bechomodech. A Nisham in heaven can get Bechomodech. But not That comes only from the from the from the mishigas in life. From going through the ringer, that's what it is. It's still connected to the level of the emanations. But when our, when our soul gets enclosed in an animal soul, the neshama rises to burst with a love that is infinite, limitless. And that's the avoda of the bali tshuva, the person who's the penitent, the one who's coming back. Their, their fervor, their burning is, is, is without an end because they've been so far. Which touches totally, utterly above the spherot. The avoda of the neshamas primarily impact the spherot, the attributes. The avod of a Balchuva reaches the Orein Sof. But hold it, didn't we say before that Torah and mitzvahs also, which is the avoda, not of a Balchuva, the avod of a tzaddik, learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, which could be done without the chochim, without the, the thorns. So didn't we say earlier that that too reaches into the keter, into the infinite, because it has to connect, it has to be the provider. Now we're saying that only as a result of being amongst the thorns and having all the difficulties, and then when we do tshuva, it brings it, it. It lifts us up to this bechoma otcha, which we which we draw down the infinite light. But hold it! Didn't we before also swimming in an infinity when we're learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and we're doing everything correct? So he explains not. There's a difference because even though we said before that Torah and mitzvahs reach two levels of keter, the seven and the, the the seven lower, the three higher, but all of that is from the external of keser. In keser itself, there is an external called arich. And an internal called Atik. The avod of tzaddikim doesn't touch Atik. What's the difference between Atik and Arich? Arich is, a, is Keser, it's Orin Sof, that is already a source for the spherot, for the attributes. And Atik 
is to utterly remove. So to reach Atik is only through Tshuva. The Afshan is Baal, this is what it explains now. The Afshan is parenthetically. Afshan is Baal, even though we said earlier. The Pidish, the in the explanation of my provider. The Koyal Torah Mitzvah is referring to Torah Mitzvah. Shegam Inyan Zehu Bekeser, that this too right reaches to Keser, Makomokam nevertheless. In a Torah Mitzvah, Torah Mitzvah, Magiyam only arrived, Akbashayrish and Etzalim. In Keser, in the root of the emanations. But the idea of reaches Atik itself, that's utterly beyond it. In order for there to be this elevation, which comes through the descent, but here's the thing. Sometimes we feel that we're, we're, we're struggling with our animal soul, with our temptations, with all of our distractions. And, and it's supposed to be only to lead us to a greater desire to become a Balchuva, to become fanatically connected to God. And sometimes we feel like we're not getting there. We're just getting lost in the struggle. So in order that we should make it through and reach the ultimate purpose for the struggle, that we should be that the struggle itself should pick the soul up, the turmoil itself should elevate the soul to the highest peaks. For that we need God's assistance. Hashem has to assist. And what assists? It's Hashem's infinite mercy. When Hashem sees a human being struggling, the struggle, it ev that itself touches God in such a deep place, in the levels of Yud Gimel Midas Arachnim, 13 attributes of mercy, and from there it trickles down subconsciously to help us not fall. And even if we fall, to get up again. It's that mercy. Because God sees the, 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 the suffering of the soul. And His mercy extends all the way down to keep our head above the water. Not that we don't drown completely. God sends us a lifeline. And without that, we would be completo. We would be finito. We wouldn't be able to handle it. It's Hashem's help that He helps us. And He's going to explain now. In order that we should have this elevation that comes through the descent. That even though my provider, my beloved God says, is amongst the girls that poker, like the, like the thorn amongst the, the poking thorns, the, like, the, like the rose amongst the poking thorns, that even there should be the elevation, that we should derive of it this deeper commitment and connection that is limitless. On this, there is an empowerment from above. This is the Hamshacha, a drawing down of 13 attributes of mercy. These 13 attributes of mercy are above the entire system. Through drawing this down, this empowers the neshama not to become impacted by the animal soul. And the contrary. That even in the midst of that struggle over there too, we should have this amazing elevation. And this is what it says. <laughs> the most unexpected pasuk. 
Vayashkem lovan baboiker, lovan rose up early morning, vayanashek lebanavalubnoisav, and he kissed his children and his sons and his, and his daughters. Here a story. Lovan is chasing Yaakov, the evil man Lovan, who we said last week in the parsha that Arami Oivedavi, who Pasha's Kisova we read, that Lovan wants to uproot everybody. He wants to kill everybody. Yeah, we, the next, after he has this confrontation with Yaakov, he wakes up in the morning and he's saying goodbye and he's lovey-dovey grandpa and he's kissing all of his grandchildren. Sons and his daughters and he says goodbye and everything is wonderful. So everything in the physical world has its spiritual origins. So the Alter Rebbe explains that this is an incredible thing. This, this what it's, the Torah is describing is something awesome. Lovan, besides him being a cheat and a con artist, in his, in the, there is, there is, o, there is also the concept of a holy lovan, not just an unholy one, because the Torah speaks on many, many levels. So there's love on the con artist, and there's love on the holy, holy, holy lovan. His name means white, and we know that white represents purity and non-definition. So in the levels above, there are many, many, dis- myriads and my- myriads and myriads of different manifestations, but they have some sort of definition. White means utterly undefined. That's referring to God Himself, who is un has no. So Hashem Himself, the infinite, is called Lavan. Can you believe that? How does He? How's that? So that's a different question. But there is a connection. Now the thirteen attributes of mercy emanate from that very high place. Now what does it mean? He wakes up every early morning. That means that before we, we just, we just, we're rubbing our eyes, we're beginning to wake up, we're still like a halfway dream. We didn't, we didn't get to say Modani in the bed, we're just kind of waking up. And Already at that moment, Lavan is, is up before us and he gives us a kiss. That kiss is a kiss of mercy that we get from God every morning. His sons and his daughters, God kisses every single one of us. That kiss is an incredible empowerment that we should be successful today. And that, the, that our engagement in this very dangerous... Imagine a father who knows his son is going out to battle. Take a look this week. We have the images of Afghanistan and all that was going on. A father hugging his son, you know, knows that he's going out for d- deployment into a dangerous zone. So they hug and they kiss and there's tears rolling down the father's cheeks. That's how God kisses us every morning. Every morning there is a divine kiss, a divine mercy to give us the empowerment to be successful. The Lavan who bchinas loyven elyon shlamay lemeshtalshlus. Lavan is this supernal level that is so high. Ubchinazunim sheches gamla mata mata, and this high level comes down all because it's so high. It's able to descend very low. Bechala partzufim, it goes down through all the 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 partzufim means all the configurations. Lebana of the koyal bnei lekim. Now, when he kisses bana vubnoisam, I said earlier it kisses. God is kissing us to be successful. It go, what's really saying is, Banav and Benoisav are the same boys and girls that we spoke about earlier, the boys being the angels, the girls to, referring to the animal soul. Banav Benoisav, which these are the troublemakers. Yet God, Hashem descends even to their zone and to deliver the kiss, which means to deliver the empowerment to the struggling soul who's inside these Banav and Benoisav and over there to empower the neshama to be able to prevail. 
So Laban of Karl Benayelikim is referring to the levels where there are accusing angels, as we said earlier. Lebanoisav is referring to the animal soul. Shegam sham, that even there, yasham shachas b'chenes loivin elyon. There is the kiss, which means a love undescends. And that empowers. In other words, without Hashem providing that kiss in the morning, that great mercy in the morning, we would be toast. The fact that we're able to, to make it anywhere, with, with, and, and, and uh, it's, it's, only because, it's only because of this subconscious empowerment. And that's why he's going to explain how we see that in davening every day. It happens really early morning, but it also manifests at a very pivotal point, point in davening. See, the place in davening when, we, when we're really going to experience this tshuva moment, the highest peaks of love for God, it's going to explode. The neshama is going to go on fire. The neshama reaches the highest peaks in prayer by the shema. When you say vahafta, that's the way it's supposed to be. You should love God with all your heart, all your soul. All when you're supposed to say it, not just mumble it. This is like an experience. And you reach the soul is already almost <laughs> is ready to expire with like this boundless love. Which come about as a result, we said before. Why is it so intense? Because of the darknesses of life, because of the trials and tribulations. But what are, what, in order for that to happen, right before the Shema, we say a very special blessing called Avas Olam, the great love. That's where love uncomes. Because what are we speaking about in Avas Olam? That's when we receive the kiss. In Avas Olam, we say, Avinu Avarachman, Father, compassionate Father. Hamarachim, the one that has mercy. Rachim Aleinu, have mercy on us. We're asking and pleading for that mercy. That's the mercy that's coming down. <laughs> Incredible mercy that's coming down and seeping into the soul and empowering us to be able to have the Shema. That great elevation. Every day, before we get to this explosive love, we say, Father, Father in heaven. Now, I was going to say interesting. Really, the place when we have the 13 attributes of mercy appear in davening. Where do we have 13 attributes of mercy appear in davening? That's in Tachnun, which is after when we fall on our hands after davening and we say I, 13 attributes of mercy. Why? Because as a result of our Shemona Esrei and davening, we've evoked God's mercy. The 13 attributes of mercy reveal themselves to us. But that's, that's what we can provoke. But then, but then there's something even that happens before that. 13 attributes of mercy that comes to us as a gift before we do anything. Because without that mercy, we couldn't crank up the car. We couldn't get it even going. We couldn't get our engine going. We would be so overwhelmed by the animal and dark. We would never get anywhere. So we have to be sandwiched. First we have the mercy before, before our service, and then we have the mercy that comes after. And where, do, where does it appear? After we know. Hashem, Hashem. Where does the 13 attributes of mercy appear before? In Avas Olam, in this blessing. That's where we're being showered by God's mercy. Even though it doesn't mention specifically 13 attributes, I'm sure it's hinted there somewhere. It doesn't say it over here. That it's this rachamim that comes down. He explains over here. After we do our service, we evoke God's mercy. This service of serving God with all your might. Affects the, the flow of 13 attributes of mercy. 
which is the idea of the 13 attributes that we say after prayer. There's also the evoking of the 13 attributes before davening. This is the idea of the arousal of above. This helps us do our avayda. That's why in the blessings of Yotzer, and the next, mainly the next bracha, our Father, compassionate Father, have mercy. The one who has mercy, have mercy upon us. And why do we say the one who has mercy, have mercy on us? Because we don't even appreciate how pitiful our state is. We think everything's great. <laughs> well, we think we're awesome. We think we're doing pretty well. Life is good. It is good, but 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 if you would know who you are and what kind of how what kind of <laughs> powerhouse you are, and then you would realize how pathetic our, <laughs> how, how utterly ridiculously silly we are, and we would realize how, we would see how horrifically merciful and pitiful our state is, but we don't have even appreciation of that. But God, you know, you know who we really are. You know that we're a piece of you, and we are infinite, and we have such, an, and now we're, we're, we're so small. So you can have true pity on us. We don't even appreciate it. We have no idea. Sometimes you have a situation where you see someone who doesn't even know that they're in a pitiful state and then you're like, your heart goes out. Because they have no idea like what, what, what you know, what, like what, what a Rachmanus it is on them. So, we don't even know it. You, in, with your great mercy, you do understand how pitiful our is. As you understand it. But that evokes, that, that, that mercy pours down upon us and that serves as an incredible energizing force. But again, it's subconscious, but it enters into our soul, it gives us incredible power. That empowers that even though we're a rose amongst the thorns, we can give, the thorns don't destroy us, the thorns only help us give out off our fragrance, which is the fragrance of this great love to God. Even though this hamshacha, this drawing down, is in order to empower our service, it's the arousal from above that comes before our arousal from below. So even though it's God jump-starting, but even this needs a little preparation. Because if it wouldn't need any preparation, we would say we would have this hamarachim rachim aleinu right in the beginning of davening. Why do we have this hamarachim, this evoking of mercy, right before the Shema, after we've already davened for quite a while? It's because even this needs a little preparation on our end. We don't prepare for it. We're not really even if it's going to come, it's not going to have any impact. So we need to like prepare, and the preparing is the warming up. We warm ourselves up by sukkah de zimra by the by the part of davening that precedes, that warms us up, so we should have a little bit of something, and then we're ready to receive a heavy dosage of godly mercy, which in turn ignites the soul, empowers the soul to blast off by, by Shema, and gain from being, from gain this infinity from being in the midst of the darkness, which it didn't even have when the soul was in heaven. Um, but again, so it works like this. We start with something, then God kicks in, 
That empowers us, and then our service triggers his second level of mercy, which comes after Shmon Ezra. This too needs a little preparation. This is the general preparation of our body. The neshama doesn't really need it, but our body and our animal soul is so coarse that we need to kind of like, we need to kind of like neutralize them a little bit so that we can even allow for this powerful mercy to penetrate into our soul. Because if the animal soul and the, if the ego is so intense and so powerful, even when God's mercy is going to come pouring down, it's going to be blocked. It's not going to get anywhere. It's not going to penetrate that ego. So when we break the ego a little bit, a little bit, a little softening, we create a little pores, so to speak. It allows for this medicine to come in, this great mercy to come in, and once it seeps in in the inside, wow, there's that power. It evokes the real, it wakes up a sleeping lion, the Nisham is real love for God. Which happens to the verses of song, that comes before the Shema. The Psukah de Zimra will the Zamer Aritzim. The Psukah de Zimra comes to cut down the thorns. Through the exaltation of, of Hashem with our throats, that gives us a sword. This is the general hachno, the general um, neutralizing of the body and the animal soul, so that we can at least, they, they, if the animal soul is barking, you can't hear anything. You've got to quiet it down a little. And then, and this will allow for the 13 attributes of mercy to kick in by, Shemon, by, Shem, by, Ahava, by the blessings of the Shema. And then the the flow of Yud Gimel Nisarachim, 13 attributes, then empower the Ava, the Bechomadecha, the great love that is infinite. Wow, we wish we would, we would daven like this every day. Now, this is the last piece. Few more minutes. Just like this is the order of the service every day, that we have this first a little preparation, then we have the great mercy that comes down, and that enables us to be wow, to be to to to, to show God that what wow, that we are arose amongst the thorns, which makes Him also be that He is. He is a tree. Uh, he is a, he's the he is the apple tree amongst the other. The, 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 the barren trees. He, he's amongst the, the, the sons who are driving him, cra- so to speak, crazy and trying to prevent him from loving us. And yet, he breaks through. But all that is created throughout. All that is created throughout, it says, it requires that mercy that comes before. Because we said before, without the mercy, we, we, we would be overwhelmed by the thorns. And then he would be overwhelmed by the accusing angels. So just like it is every day that we have that mercy that comes from above to help us out. But before the mercy, we have a little preparation. So it is, he says, in the year. On Rosh Hashanah is when God is cha- cha- challenged. Because that's when he's going to be, that's when all these accusing angels are going to come and barrage him. So that's when he's going to be challenged. But we want that what that he should shine through with all his love. In order for that to happen, there has to be in a period before that that we shine, which is the month of El, when we can prove our tshuva. We have our tshuva. We do tshuva. 
But what happens in the month of Elul? We merit heavy dosages of godly mercy that empowers, what do we know, the, thir the 13 attributes of the month of Elul, which are compared to the rose petals. Ani ledodi vedodi li, I am to my beloved and beloved, Haroa, the one who, who, who shepherds, the one who pastures, Bashoshanim amongst the roses. The roses are the 13, have 13 petals, the 13 attributes of mercy that begin falling the first day Elul. The world is being showered, not with snowflakes, but with rose petals. The whole month of Elul, it's God's mercy descending down upon on us. But what an Elul also we know, it also requires work on our end. Anil Adoli, just like he said, before we can even get that mercy, what do we need? Pesukah de Zimra, we need to say something. You gotta, you gotta neutralize yourself a little bit. You gotta control yourself a little bit. Create the space a little bit for God's mercy to be able to come down. So this is during the month of Elul. It's the preparation and the mercy, but it's all preparation time. It's the preparation of our end, which corresponds to Pesukah de Zimra, to silence our animal soul a little bit so that the medicine can take place, so that mercy God can seep in. Then comes Rosh Hashanah and our deepest love is conveyed to God on the, even though we do it every day, but where does the real love, the innermost, the Pneumius and Hashanah really expressed by the sound of the shofar? That's when we cry from the inner deep being of our soul. That's what the shofar represents, the inner crying of the soul, whether you're doing it at Kiyah Shofar or you're doing it any other moment of Rosh Hashanah when you bear your soul before God. Your inner soul bursts out with such an intensity, which which is the love of B'chol Mo'odecha on its highest, purest neshama, which comes out on Rosh Hashanah. As our love comes out, God's stubborn and also limitless love to us shines forth. And all the, and all the accusers go flying. And all that's left is just a beautiful relationship, which ends up, and which brings us into the sukkah, as we're seeing in the sukkah. Um, Every day, we have this order in the in the year. When is the dodi? When is my beloved amongst the sons? It's referring on Rosh Hashanah. That's when all these b'nei Elokim come. These are the accusing forces. And that's what it means. My beloved is amongst the sons, meaning those that are standing up for God's respect. It doesn't say, it, it says, my beloved. God is, even though they are trying to, to, to whatever, he is still shining as our beloved. This great love. This is my beloved and he's my best friend. Again, the descent of going down, in other words, it has, as we said before, it has a backfires on them. Not only doesn't it cause God to become aggravated and upset, because he's challenged by them, he digs deeper into himself to discover how much he really loves us. So their very pestering only causes a deeper thing, just like our pestering by the same choleris from our end causes our deeper love to come out, Hashem's end as well. So as it is in our avoida every day, and just like parallel to our day before the Shema, when when we express this deep love to God, and then God responds with the thirteen attributes of mercy after Shemona Esrei. So just like it has to be, but it has to be preceded. God has to give us assistance to that. We also need a, pre a preparation from below. 
There's the radiance of the 13 attributes of mercy. And also the Yavoida from below. Which is the idea of Elul. I am to my beloved, my beloved is to me. And then comes the Rosh Hashanah, then there's only love. The Rebbe trains Rosh Hashanah over here into a love fest. It's unbelievable. Rosh Hashanah suddenly becomes this, this most romantic moment. It's crazy. Now the Rebbe what's the continuation? Because this love is so high. It's so essential. And that's why it's so deep, and, but essence can't be revealed. It's too deep. But it needs, but if it's not revealed, and if it's not drawn out, it's not good. It has to come out. But because it's so high, it can't come out. So a little ray of it comes out. A ray of it shines forth. We, we only get to see a little ray of this, of this incredible love. But even though it's only a little ray, nevertheless, since it's a ray from such a high place, even one little ray from this deepest love, this, take a look at this amazing thing, is, a, is able to wipe away and to repair all the all the damages and all the lackings that there is. In other words, it's able to refurbish us and re and and, and re replenish the entire cosmic order in a minute. That's the idea. Once what takes a year to build with Torah and mitzvahs takes one second of this incredible love that comes forth with God to suddenly wreck, the, to fill it all. Because God is suddenly so in love with creation, so in love with the world, so in love with the purpose of it all. Because, because he, he reek, the sp in other words, it just has to spark. Once the spark is there, whoa. A little tiny, one potent drop of this is more than a year's worth if we would be learning and davening and doing Torah and mitzvahs. That's how powerful and potent this is. Why it's in one second. But nevertheless, it's still only a ray. That's why the Pasuk says, that in his shade I desired, the Yeshafti and I sit. The Tselu Makif. Tsel is the Makif. In other words, what shines forth, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, is a ray of this great love. But we want to get not just to the ray, we want to get to the essence of the love. That's the sukkah. So the sukkah, we're in his shadow, in his shade. It's going into the very essence. That's why the sukkah is not, it's, it's, it's sometimes wondering, what can't I feel? You don't have to feel. This is infinitely beyond anything you could ever feel. <laughs> this is the essence of that love. The essence of it, it's just, it just is the not a ray. It's the essence of this encompassing love. This is referring to the holiday of Sukkot. That's when we're drawn seven clouds. It's like the seven clouds that surrounded the Jewish people in the desert. There are Sukkot. 
which this is the makif. And even though this is a hamshacha of makif, but the chiddush is, even though it's encompassing, we can still internalize it. We're able to actually feel it. That's the idea of you take a sukkah, which is above you, you settle it. Which is sukkah. Your, your, your generations will know, know his internalization. In a sukkah, I have hoishafti, I sat you down. That means that we're able to actually internalize something so incomprehensibly high. That's what we say. In his shadow, in his shade, we're talking about the, the apple tree, which is referring to God. In his shade, Chamadati, I am longing, I'm desired. The Yashafti, but I sit down over there. In addition that I'm sitting in his shade, which is the essence of the Makiv, in a Gam Yashafti, I'm able to internalize it. It's able to settle in. But it's still Makiv. It's internalizing Makiv, but it's somehow still Makiv, still encompassing. That's why the Pasuk says, but then I eat from the fruit. We eat from the love. And that's Shmini Atzeres Simchas Torah. Because Torah is food again. It's internalizing it. Taking it. What are you taking with you? What are you internalizing? That's the whole thing. You're internalizing this essential bond between God and you. That's what you're internalizing. And that's the fruit. But when can you start eating it? Shmini Atzeres Simchas Torah. So it's a, it's a process. And the fruit is sweet to my palate. They call Shmini Atzeres, referring to Shmini Atzeres, the eighth day, the latter days of Sukkot. Atzeres Malosh and Klita. Atzeres means to absorb. It's really internalized. More than just settling it in the Sukkah, it's totally become part of us. This empowers us to. to to do our work all year long. And Yaakov is able to continue in his work to elevate the world. So there's the general Seder of the 13 attributes of mercy. There's love on waking up in the morning. He kisses his children. And then it, what does it say after you love and kisses the children? Yaakov goes to his way. It goes to all levels. Until it gives us that ability, it completely empowers us to go be good Jews that we need to be to influence and do what we to make this world a godly place. It's that it impacts us for the rest of the year as well. That we should have a better year. We should serve God the way we should. That we should have everything we need spiritually and materially in revealed and apparent goodness.